Our scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. If you have children, we can now dismiss them to Children's Church. Follow follow Dr. Crowder. Is that what we're doing? No, no, everybody, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, this is an easy text. This text is for the children over in Children's Church. And I've heard this before. Let me tell you a story. You might be surprised to know that when I went into college at Auburn University, I was an art major. That's right. And one of the classes we took was on nothing but color. So we didn't paint, we didn't draw. The entire semester, we just studied color. And while I was studying this text, I was reminded the first day of that class, the teacher took out a big blank canvas And he painted two areas of blue, and he looked at us, and he said, uh, what do you see? What color? Insulted our artistic intelligence. We all agreed. We said, it's blue. Then he pursed a little further, and he asked about the properties, like what kind of blue it was, and so on, and We decided it was something like sky blue or something in that category. Then he did something very interesting. He took a darker color and he painted completely around one of the blue areas. Then he turned to the class again and he said, now what do you see? And like magic, the two blues looked completely different. And so the rest of that day, he continued to perform these tricks of the eye, contrasting colors, together, and we learned that there was a a rule in art called simultaneous contrast. Charles McGowan, preaching to the choir, you know what I'm talking about, right? He's not listening, see? The text is is not that exciting. So so today I'm going to kind of do something like that teacher, all right? A kind of textual contrast. Now, Like I said, you heard a very familiar passage, and I know you've probably uh, read this before, heard it preached, maybe you heard it taught in Sunday school, and you say, in fact, I asked my, I read to my kids last night, I said, you know, what's this about? Oh, it's about, it's about giving, sacrificial giving or trust, and I don't want to bore you, but I want to look at it one more time with a little more attention, and we're going to push a little further, and we're going to ask exactly what's good about it. So beginning straight from the text, Mark chapter 12, 41, 
Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in. He watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury. Now, this is this big area, okay? Everyone is allowed there, women and children. There's lots of action. And if you can imagine these 13 sort of receptacles, they're shaped like ram's horns, kind of upside down in these chests. And everybody's coming in there throwing in the money. It took a lot of money to run the temple. Each one was dedicated to a particular part of the temple, like the wood, the gold. And uh, I think it was six out of the 13 are just free will offerings. So this is, this is where the people donate. Um, let's read on. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now you got to get this picture of the rich people. You know, maybe they're just throwing it in there, making a big noise, show, you know, look at, you know, look at me, you know, throwing the money in there, you know, hey, I've I've given again, right? Everybody can see it. And uh, and amidst all this action, because in some way it's visible, I'm guessing, you know, you can see how much people are putting in and lots of of ringing, but in some way we know it was visible because Jesus is able to discern how much people are putting in and clothing unnoticeable by any status symbols youth or beauty completely unnoticed by the temple as her coins make the smallest sound of all but what's interesting is she's unnoticed by the true temple himself because that day God is in the flesh tabernacling amongst his people watching her intently calls his disciples and he says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave all, they all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. And I'm sure he had to point her out. They probably didn't even notice her as well. And the widow became the most famous giver in the history of the world, the end. Nice story. That's a good story, right? I put the color on the canvas. Does everybody agree it's a good story? Huh? You can tell them up to something, right, Mary Frances? All right, well now, what's good about it? I think as we read here, we... One thing, it's good news that God is pleased with something other than mere quantity. I'll agree with that. As we read here, we see that God evaluates the widow's gift based on uh, percentage. Uh, So we can please God with our gifts just as much, if not better, than if Elon Musk were to walk in here and dump millions. And we already know this from the Old Testament as well, where God institutes the first flat tax, where everyone contributes the same amount, not by portion, but by proportion. So we can say, man, it's good news that when we give, God appreciates two pennies, just as much, if not larger than some, better than some larger amount. And it's certainly encouraging principle to extract from this story. When I read this, when it comes to application, a little problem arose. What's the problem? 
This lady didn't give 10% or 20%. She gave 100%. So how do we apply that? Go and do likewise. Uh, it seems to me if we imitated her, we'd be broke. Are we allowed to ask what this widow ate for lunch? Did she go home and starve? We're talking about someone with no health insurance, no social security. It's kind of a life or death situation. Now, if our church members imitated her, it would be a disaster, right? This is a problem. Um, Now, maybe you're saying, Todd, I know. It's not the amount. It's not the amount, silly. It's her heart. It's the widow's heart. Okay? I don't see anything about her heart in here. Okay. So, we're going to step back just a bit further, and I want to ask a more elementary question about this widow's offering. And, and that is, is what she did and the amount she gave good? Not, now, not in the sense that it's in God's Word and that's good, or that God works all things for the good, and so, uh, you know, it's good in, in that way. I'm asking, is what happened here a good kingdom example? Does anybody think that this is a good kingdom example and that we should imitate this and give 100% of our financials. Uh, Does anybody believe that? If anybody does, we're going to pass the plates. Isaac, get the plates ready. Okay, nobody. Okay, well, so it's a little bit of an application conundrum. But I'm going to surround this now, okay? We all see this. I'm going to surround this with a different color. Only I don't have to get out any darker paint. I'm just going to remove the frame, okay? I'm going to use God's paint. And I'm going to, I'm going to remove the frame. If you notice this story, it has a title. It comes with its own title. The, mine says the, the Widow's Offering. It's put there by the publisher. And, uh, and then afterwards, I'm even going to move that chapter 13 from under it. Boom. Put there by the Archbishop of Canterbury in the 12th century. And I'm going to let the author, Mark, determine the flow here. All right. Now, what's going on overall in Mark right now? I'd say that things are, in fact, getting a little dark. A lot of the excitement, a lot of the positive feelings that were in the preparation of the coming king and all the announcements that we get in the beginning, those are gone. And then the whole journey to Jerusalem, full of signs and wonders and healings and power, those have all sort of calmed down as well. People are starting to kind of attack Jesus. They're starting to challenge him. He's arrived now in Jerusalem. And we're not seeing this political takeover. People are starting to get disappointed. He's starting to uh, talk about his death. Nobody quite understands. He's starting to talk about the cost of following him. And it's becoming more evident to some that this guy is not the Messiah. In fact, it's probably already happening. They're planning to kill him. Well, let's go to the paragraph right before, verse 38, Mark twelve thirty-eight. Jesus says, beware, beware, this is a warning, watch out for the scribes, the Jewish leaders, the church leaders, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense... That is, for a false show or for for appearance sake, 
make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Wow. What kind of warning are we talking about here? It seems to me that it can only be one of two kinds. Either watch out for these guys for your own sake because they're going to get you, or make sure that you are not like them. And I'm compelled it's the latter because at the end, the consequences of the actions are directed at the subjects. They're directed at the scribes, or the people who do things like this, for they will receive the greater condemnation. They're already condemned. That means hell, but they're going to get worse hell than everybody else. That's right. There's worse hell for some. That's not, I know that if, if, that's not what the sermon's about, but Obviously, if they have a greater condemnation, that's the fact, right? So, now of the things, which I, th- I, th- I thought this was interesting, we have these six offenses here, and five of them, five of them have to do with just looking good, looking religious. That is some sort of, you know, self-glory. And uh, if we ask the catechism question to the kids, uh, what's the chief end of man? Eh? Eh? Anybody? Chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. These guys would say to glorify myself and enjoy myself temporarily. But only one of these offenses is a direct assault on another person. Only one of these offenses is a direct assault on a fellow image bearer, like we've been talking about, God's image. So, and which one is it? Beware of those who devour widows' houses. In other words, Watch out. Be warned that you don't. Be warned about attacking widows economically. This is the worst one. All throughout the Old Testament, God is concerned about the widow, the orphan, the alien, the poor. These are people who can't provide for themselves. And, you know, I could sit here and read the Old Testament scriptures about that, but it literally would take all the sermon time. There's so many. We can look all the way back in Exodus 22, 22 through 24. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. It's orphans. So if we want to encapsulate the Christian faith and jump all the way to the New Testament and go to uh, 1,500 late years later to James chapter 127. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see what's happening here? It's a, a direct violation of the commandments. What's the, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These guys are loving themselves. Well, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These guys are doing the exact opposite of the way God talks about loving your neighbor. So you cut off glorifying God. You also, uh, the inevitable outcomes of failure are this inability to love the neighbor as a self. So now with that, with that, this grave warning, if we just continue reading Right past, the, right past the title, right? You just continue reading right after that. He gives this warning. He sits down. He watches the crowd. And he says, Amen. 
I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth. She put in everything she had her whole life. How does that story look now? A little different. A little darkness in front of it. Jesus says, feed my sheep. These guys are eating sheep. And I'm going to argue that unless an angel of the Lord visited this lady the night before and told her to do this, that she should not be giving. And that the church should have taken care of that lady. And so I'm actually compelled that this is not a good example of proper giving or sacrificial giving. This is a warning and then an example of a helpless widow having her house devoured. Now somebody might disagree with that and say, God, you're ruining the story for me. And, uh, and that's okay. I'm just an elder here. Okay? I'm not the pastor. So anything I say that is offensive or wrong, uh, you go to Jason and, and, and that's, that's the way that, that works here, okay? I did park in, in the front of the church today, which, I, you know, it's kind of preacher parking in my mind, guest, guest preacher parking. All right. Now let me just, uh, while we're kind of thinking about this, let me point out what's also missing, okay? One, there's no words of exhortation from Jesus. And we know it's quite typical for Jesus to give us instructions. For example, after Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, he says, go and do likewise. We don't have that here. Two, nor does the Bible as a whole advise us anywhere to dump 100% of our money into anything. Three, notice also the absence of any commendation or blessing from Jesus as he usually gives to people. Like, what about Zacchaeus, the rich tax collector who got there off the backs of the poor, who gives 50% back, mind you, not 100%. And Jesus says to him in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. Chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, 9. But here, we don't have that. He says nothing. And finally, I'm going to address the strongest argument. And this is the one that televangelists use. And prosperity gospel preachers use. And they use it to swindle people. God wants you to be financially blessed. Right? If you just give that money, God will bless you in return with material wealth. That's what he wants. Friends, if you just have the heart of this widow, you get anything you want. That's my imitation of televangelists, but... But it doesn't say anything about her heart, does it? That's the fourth thing that's missing here. We don't know what her motives are. She could have been afraid. She could have been bitter. She could have been foolishly hoping in some prosperity scheme. We don't know because it doesn't say. And what I'm suggesting is it doesn't say that because it's not the point. The point is that the church, which Jesus is talking about, has become a completely false religion. And this is Exhibit A. Our Westminster Confession says about the church, the purest churches under heaven are subject to both mixture and error. And some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. And so here we have the temple has become 
a synagogue of Satan, and the church has passed on, uh, sort of unbeknownst to them just yet, into the hands of fishermen and you know, this group of guys. Um, so, and to prove that, to prove this point, Jesus points out immediately after the warning that this widow who has no business giving at all gets devoured. Now, when I, always, now, when I say she has no business uh, giving, you know, we don't hear that too often in the church, do we? So I've kind of taken up some, some opposites here for you to think about. So who isn't supposed to give? Who, who, who are these people? Uh, who shouldn't give anything at all to the church? That's the poor. Who are the poor? They receive instead of give. I would say at the very least, anyone who's disqualified from giving uh, has very little or nothing because they can't work for wages. Uh, they have little or nothing because of some calamity. Um, you know, like uh, some disaster could be an internal illness. We know that can happen with medical. Some oppression, like we've seen with slavery. Uh, or some physical state, like an infant, a young, a young child, a widow. So historically, these are the poor. And the widow here today is in this category. Now, for everyone else, stewardship, that's giving of either time, talents, treasures, or all of the above, depending on our situation, it's an essential obligation to the body of Christ. So don't misinterpret uh, me. Um, you know, for, first of all, the Bible says, what do you have that you did not receive? That's 1 Corinthians 4, 7. That is that you and all your possessions already belong to God. So then... Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, 1 Corinthians 9, 7. Now, so that just means that everyone gives the amount. Uh, it's a personal uh, uh, choice between you and God. God cares about the manner in which we give. So don't ever think your gift's insignificant because of the amount. And finally, this might be the most important reason because it eventually affects all the other reasons, and that is where you're Heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew six nineteen through 21. That means that where you give actually has an effect on your heart. It actually has an effect on your spiritual life. It's one of the means of grace, one of the ways that you grow spiritually. You don't believe me, just talk to one of these guys that, uh, you know, gives money to LSU. And they think they're on part of the team. Um, now, when you contribute to the body of Christ... You are part of the team. You're part of the kingdom. And it's eternal. Now, look, we have a policy at FPC. We actually don't know who gives. But I can say that we would rather have less money at the end of the month and know that everyone is making wise commitments to stewardship than have all the money in the world. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It's Mark eight thirty six. In other words, if the members who are able are not giving anything then we are failing them. Now, on the flip side, woe to the church if we neglect our stewardship. The church receives gifts, and that comes with great responsibility to reinvest, reinvest those gifts back into the kingdom, not just spiritually, but also economically. The Christianity and following Christ, this is a flesh-and-blood religion, folks. You know, we don't offer a mental solution or, or, or a therapeutic solution. We offer a bloody Savior, forgiveness of sins, and a, like we talked about earlier, a feast, real bread, real wine, real life, 
Woe to us if we neglect the physical needs of the church. So we have the warning. We have the warning. And I said the worst part of that warning is pointed at devouring widows. We're all guilty of trying to look good. Um, then you have the condemnation, well, then you have the example uh, of the widow being devoured or a direct performance of the thing he warned about, rather, and uh, a direct assault on the thing warned about. And I like what comes right after it, if I can remove the chapter 13 here, if, if you'll allow me to, to let Mark put this in context as this guy tries to put kind of his positive spin on it. He says, uh, you know, she gave her whole life. And as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. I'm sure in Greek that's more eloquent. You know. But uh, Jesus looks up and he says, yeah, about that. You see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another who will not be thrown down. Rest of that chapter 13 is nothing but judgment, pronouncement of judgment, condemnation. Israel has become not the church, if you will. Um, so, how's the story look now? How's the story look now? The widow's two pennies did not make such a happy story. After all, rather they were like a death rattle for Jerusalem. The final proof that the church had fallen into complete idolatry. So, when you read that widow's offering, maybe you'll... Uh, think, beware the widow's offering. So, uh, again, I'm sorry if I ruined the story for everyone, but I tell you what I'll do. I'll leave you with a happy thought. I'll leave you with a happy thought. You know, one of the uh, times that I was... Uh, I guess I was an elder. It was about maybe 10 years ago or something. And I'm the kind of the, actually the, maybe the meanest elder. I, I don't know. Uh, it's, between the, it's between me and Ian. You know, we, but uh, we, we were looking at the church, and I said, who cleans the church? The church is dirty. You know, the church is dirty. It, whoever's cleaning it's not doing a good job. And Jason said, well, you know, it's this, it's this elderly lady. She's a widow, and she's really dependent on this job of cleaning the church. So I said, well, we can't have a dirty church, so we gotta, we gotta, we're going to have to let her go. And, uh, but what, what we do, you know, I don't, I'm talking about, this is, this is outside the church, so, you know, I figure I can, I can tell this because she's not a member here. So, you know, I'm not violating HIPAA or anything like that, right, Jonathan? The, um, what we decided to do was we continue, Continue to pay this lady till this day because she's dependent on that money. So, you know, when you put your money here, that's the kind of church that we are. So, 
that's on the church side and uh, on the congregation side I, I think we can smile as well because in spite of this dire warning and, and, and which is good it's good to be warned I mean we we do have a, a building going up here right but we can say look what a beautiful building because we're using it as a means to spread the kingdom not as an end in itself like we have here but on the congregation side I can smile as well because I know that if that widow were to come in here you guys would uh, attack her just like you do everybody <laughs> and you know that's what I love I love that about this church when a, when a, a visitor comes here or a stranger comes in here you guys are very generous. You don't care how they look. You don't care, uh, you know, what they're wearing. You guys are all over that person. And don't ever stop doing that, okay? Don't ever stop doing that. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I pray that we never lose that, okay? So I guess I'll go ahead and pray that we never lose that right now. Father, we thank you for this warning and uh, for the gospel of Mark. We thank you for our church. And Lord, I pray that we would never neglect the needy, never neglect the physical needs of the church. Lord, I pray for the, uh, the tithes and offerings in this church, that you would make us wise stewards that we would continue to uh, always be kingdom-focused, that we would never become self-occupied, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.